0: While you're turning to First Corinthians chapter two, we're going to read a very brief passage, but very important passage. So if our reader wouldn't mind, if are we finished with the apple fritter? Okay, okay, there we go. <laughs> we're ready to read. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now that is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and frankly I think it's one of the more uh, pertinent passages that we'll ever read. We've been looking at uh, Revelation. Uh, we saw, first of all, what we called revelation itself Uh, creation shows that God is we talked about that then we looked at the fact that Christ was personal revelation and he shows who God is not only that God is real but what kind of person he is we know who God is like when we discover who the Lord Jesus really is And then we saw verbal revelation, which is communication, and that's what God says. That's the Bible, of course. And then the second message, Uh, last week we looked at uh, inspiration, we saw that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that means simply God-breathed, and we looked at the meaning of that phrase in the Greek language. Uh, But the Bible is also the infallible Word of God. The inspired Word of God means God breathed. The infallible Word of God means it will never lead you astray in any subject that it teaches you. In other words, when you really understand what's being said in the text of the Scripture, it will never lead you astray. It's infallible. It will not bring you to error, in other words. But then the Bible is also... The inerrant word of God, and we saw that that word inerrancy means without error. But it's only true of the original manuscripts. And that means that translations once in a while can make some mistakes and so on. And that's why we go back to the earliest translations, those who are scholars and know what they're doing with the languages, And it's because the earlier translations have a more clear understanding perhaps uh, of what the original text was saying. Now, we don't have any of the original manuscripts, so we have to go back to the very earliest. But we have enough, hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts that can be studied, and you can trust the translations except they're not inerrant as were the original manuscripts. So once in a while, you'll find a word uh, in a version of the Bible that doesn't mean the same thing in today's language. And so we need to study the linguistics, the Greek language, the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, the Aramaic language, parts of Daniel and some of the New Testament and so on. All of those kinds of things help us. But we can trust the word of God because it is the scripture. Now, that brings us to the matter of illumination. Now I'm going to ask and I'm going to answer three simple questions. And I'm only saying I'm going to answer because one day in California I was teaching on some issue and I said, now I'm going to ask some questions. I asked a question and the guy just jumped up and started giving an answer. (laughs) Well, I want you to understand what I'm asking are rhetorical questions. In other words, I'm going to give you the answer to the question that I've asked we uh, you know what I'm talking about three simple questions and uh, the first one is this now here's the deal if the Bible is inspired and I have already said in last week's study that it certainly is why is it so stinking hard to understand sometimes why is it so difficult to get to the meaning of some of the portions of the scripture. You remember Paul, uh, uh, Peter even said of Paul the Apostle, some of the things he writes, the scripture he writes, and that's the word uh, Peter used, some of the scripture that Paul writes is hard to understand. Well, I'd go further than Simon Peter. I'd say some of the things Peter himself said are sometimes a little hard to understand. And so why is it so difficult? Well, that's the reason I'm going to be sharing this word, illumination. Now, what illumination means is simply this. All right, Gene, are you ready? Uh, Full darkness shows how much we need illumination. Ah, now there you have it. This is called full darkness, by the way. Have you ever been to uh, uh, what's the uh, caves in New Mexico? Carlsbad Caverns. Carlsbad Caverns. (laughs) They'll get you inside Carlsbad Caverns and tell you now get you a place, get settled, and uh, be careful and don't move. And they turn the lights out and you can't see your hand in front of your face. Full darkness is evidence that we need illumination. Well, flipping a switch means illumination has been given. In fact, in the dictionary I read, uh, one of the dictionaries said this, illumination means to be provided with light. Well, I'll be. Ellie, good to see you sitting there. I didn't see you there a minute ago. It helps when illumination comes. Now, that leads me to the second question that we're going to ask and answer today, and that's this. Why do we need illumination? Now, somebody's going to say, Brother Paul, you're repeating yourself. You're being redundant. You've just said because it's dark. That's true. But the answer to the Bible as to why we need illumination on the Word of God is a whole lot deeper than just A little bit of darkness for instance the human race is troubled with a fatal flaw we have a fatal flaw in humanity and that's what the scripture calls sin when God created Adam and Eve put them in the garden they were there walking with him in the cool of the day and something happened And that was the invasion of sin. A choice was made. Sin entered the picture. And all at once, uh, we as human beings from Adam, our original guy, have what's called a dead and dark nature. Every person born since Adam, since that fall in the Garden of Eden, has a fatal flaw that the Bible reveals to be sin. And so in chapter 2 verse 11 the scripture says no man knows the things of God. No man apart from the holy spirit. No man can know the things of God. The result of the fall is death. And folks, that just simply means we're dead when we come into this world. Now death doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean cessation. Death means separation. So that when you die uh, physically, you're not, you don't cease to exist. You're separated from your physical body, which is laid to rest. Your spirit is someplace else. So death really means separation. So that when Adam and Eve sinned, they were immediately separated from fellowship and a relationship with God And uh, the Garden of Eden wasn't so uh, wonderful anymore because of the fatal flaw that the scripture calls sin. So we're born dead. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 14, it says, The natural man, now that word natural, is a reference to all of those who are not believers, all of those who are not yet in a relationship with God. That's everybody when they're first born. We're natural. And so the natural man, uh, the scripture uh, says, is separated from God spiritually, intellectually. And if we die in that condition, we will ultimately in eternity be uh, separated for from him for eternity so that's what death is it's separation and so we're born with a dead and dark nature now I'm saying we're dead but there's a double whammy in that because we're not only dead according to the scripture uh, we have a problem with darkness listen to what Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthians which I'll not ask you to turn, but listen to what he said. The God of this world has blinded the minds of who? The unbelievers. Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God. So we've got a double whammy as human beings and that is we're born dead and we're born blind. You see? In fact, Our nature is dead and dark, both of those. And it keeps us from being able to understand who God is, what God is like, and understanding what God said in this book that we call the Bible. And then left to ourselves, that's it. I mean, we're in trouble. Somebody needs to flip a switch. Well, that's exactly what happened when you became a Christian, when I became a Christian. The scripture revealed that the Holy Spirit in some supernatural way had to flip a switch. Now you do understand that these are all metaphorical uh, terms that I'm using. They're pictures to illustrate the point. And that is the Holy Spirit has to speak the word and we have light in our spirit Spirit, just as surely as when God spoke the word and light came out of darkness in the original creation. So the Holy Spirit flips the switch and we call it conviction. You call it whatever you want to, but the moment you and I trust Christ as Lord and Savior, we are born again, birthed again. Only this time, we now have a spirit that is alive. The Bible says in one of Paul's letters, you who, whom he hath quickened, and that word quickened is a Greek word, which means like the quick of your finger. Have you ever bitten your nail into a quick, and it hurt, it sensitized. We have been quickened by the Holy Spirit, made alive to God, so that all at once we have a relationship with God, and... Uh, I'm telling you, we have a brand new nature. So where we had a dead and dark nature, now we have a bright and a new nature, and we're related to God. Now that's why in 1 Corinthians 2, the Steve read a moment ago, the scripture calls some spirit, uh, some people natural. He call it calls some people spiritual. You that are spiritual have received the Holy Spirit. Why? In order that you, the spiritual one, might know the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean you're smart, Alex, or you're super intelligent. That's not what it's talking about. It means you've been made real in the spirit world. Your spirit has been quickened by the Holy Spirit. And now we have a relationship with God. The problem is we had a dead and darkened nature, and now we have a bright new nature, but even with a new nature, we have a measure of darkness. That means we still have a darkened understanding. All right, now follow me carefully here. In the Bible, it's what's called flesh, Paul said this in Ephesians 1.18, I'm praying, now he's writing to Christians, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding, Christians, your understanding will be enlightened that you might know the hope of his calling. Now that word enlightened is a, is a word which means illuminated. Flipping the switch. In other words, Paul is saying that as believers, we need in some manner the Holy Spirit to flip the switch of our understanding so that we can know more and more of the Word of God. Look, if you will, at verse 12 of 1 1 Corinthians 2. Now, notice what it says. Now, we have received. Now, he says we, so he's talking to Christians. We have received not the spirit of the world. That's the natural man, the lost spirit, the separated spirit. We have received not the natural spirit, but the spirit of God who is from God. In other words, the Holy Spirit has come to live in us. Our spirit is made new by his presence. Why? That, the little word that's a purpose clause in the Greek language, what it means is, For the purpose of, or so that you might know the things that are freely given to us from God. In other words, even after we become Christians, along the living of our life, we've got a mind that still struggles with darkness. You remember that verse where it says, we see through a glass darkly? In other words, because you've been born again, it doesn't mean that you automatically have a full and bright understanding of all of the Word of God. Along the way in our life, the Holy Spirit has to flip a switch and we know more and more of the Word of God. In fact, in that verse 12, uh, the word that you might know Now, that's a little word in the Greek language, which doesn't mean a hill of beans to me or to you, but it's the word I do. There's another Greek word, which means gnosko, or which is gnosko. Now, they have two different meanings, but they're both the word no in English. When the word gnosko is used, it means full and complete knowledge. It's the word that's used where Paul, where we were told uh, by John, I think it was, uh, in that day, we shall know even as we're known. That's talking about eternity. We will gnosko, have the full knowledge, the full picture of it in eternity. Here is a different word that you might, I know, that you might, now listen to this. This is what it means. Get further Insights along the way that we might come to know and keep on getting to know in a fuller way. It does not mean full understanding. There is that word for that. Now, here's the point I want to make, and then uh, we'll uh, see if this is making sense. The Word of God, the Bible, is not American history, it is not a book of literature. It's not poetry that you read for pleasure. The Word of God is a supernatural book that takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it. So I do my study and my research, and then I bow down before God so His Holy Spirit can reveal it, not all fully and completely. Now, here's the point that Paul was making with that word Ido. But so that you'll have enough light For the next step that you need to take, do you remember the passage that says, thy word shall be what? A light unto my path, right? A lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. So it's it's referring to this more light as you go along. Let me finish this and then we'll have questions. Uh, But I need to tie it all together here because we come to the third question. Which is, I think, going to bring us to a time where we'll be able to talk about this. The third question the first one is, what is illumination? The second question was, why do we need illumination with dead and dark nature? And even after we become Christians, we still have a darkened mind. So the question then is, what's his method of illumination? In other words, how does he? Flip a switch so that you learn more today about something than you've ever known, where you see something a little differently than you've ever seen it, where your knowledge is better today than it was yesterday in a certain verse of Scripture. Have you ever been been here listening to Steve teach? I have multiple times, and he'll say something and show something, and I'll, oh my Goodness, I've read that a thousand times. I don't, think I, I don't think I've ever read it. Well, I had read it. My understanding was only measured for what I needed at the time. All at once, the Lord uses a tool, a method, a person, and I understand it better. Now, let me name some of those methods for you. First of all, I think the best method is a study of the text of the Scripture on your own. In other words, it's where you open the book, the Bible, and you begin to read and to study. You may not be able to understand everything if you want to start with a, a dictionary or a Greek dictionary or something. Check words that you don't know. But personal understanding and personal study is the best way to do it. It's, it's so much fun. I mean, it's, it's really great. When you're studying the word of God and all at once, something you see you've never seen before. For example, I'll never forget the time I was studying in 1 Corinthians 2.8, I mean, sorry, in Hebrews 2.8. And it says that he shall make all people, he shall put all people under his feet. I'd never seen that phrase before. Oh, I'd seen it, but I hadn't seen it. You know what I mean? Put people under his feet. I began to look at that. And I found out that nine times in the New Testament, that's the phrase that was used for God having authority over. They were put under his feet. All the nations of the world in that day when he returns will be under his feet in the symbols in the New Testament when Jesus is on his throne in Revelation particularly and we see that we bow at his what? Feet. Why? Because in the culture of the New Testament era, being under someone's feet was the sign of authority. And then uh, I began to understand, well, in the Middle Eastern world, when Saddam Hussein's statue fell, You remember what did the people do they took off their shoes and they beat the statue what were they doing they were saying we're you're not in control of us we're in control that was the point when I first went to Indonesia for the International Mission Board of Southern Baptist Convention I was uh, asked to go over and teach some summer uh, studies for missionaries and their families and so on, the Tabernacle and some other things. And I remember I went to my orientation time, and they said, "Now one of the things that you need to do," and they were giving us the do's and don'ts in the uh, uh, in the culture of in the the uh, Islamic culture basically of the Indonesian nation and one of the things you don't do is you don't in a chair cross your leg so that the bottom of your foot is facing someone oh. do you know why well now wait a minute I'm an American I love to cross my feet you know, I mean it kind of gives me a little rest of my back except in that culture what you're saying is you're beneath me Does that make sense? Well, of course. And so now I want to be sure when I'm in Indonesia, I don't have to cross my legs and point my soles of my shoes to some place. But where does that all come from? It comes from the original culture, the Middle Eastern culture, and the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament use that to talk about the full authority of the Lord Jesus so on. In fact I discovered in Ephesians 1 22 he is both called head of his church and the under the feet of him. Oh then I realized maybe that word kephala, head has a different meaning. I began to research and I found out it has the idea of headwaters or the source of so that The source of the church is the Lord Jesus. And by the way, we serve under his feet, the authority. Well, all it was was a little bit of light. And that kind of study is a wonderful thing to experience in your own life. Have you ever been in a worship service and someone sing a song? And uh, like when the judge first sang that little song, "Love uh, love can build a bridge. They came to that chorus which I so wonderfully led you in. Well, Do you know, when I first heard that, and our little church in Norman first heard that, we just decided, now wait a minute. That says something really significant. And I mean we started doing it together. Love can build a bridge. Between your heart and mine, love can build a bridge. Don't you think it's time Don't you think it's time? Now, from my way of understanding things, I saw the need for that bridge building between people a little better than I ever have before. And I think that was a supernatural way the Holy Spirit kind of flipped the switch and a little bit more light came through. Boy, if your switches are not flipped, when Larry... Uh, gets up and leads us in worship and praise. There's something wrong in your flipper. Yeah. Yeah. Your flipper's broken. I mean, because there's more light when we, and I mean, understanding, genuine movement in my spirit because of the, uh, it comes from a passage of scripture, a teacher explaining a truth. I let the cat out of the bag a while I go with Steve. Uh, the fact is, that's one of the reasons I love coming. Mm-hmm. I love to come. Because a teacher is a tool. And that's what the, all every teacher will say, I'm only a tool, and I'm only one of many. But a tool is important for our lives to have the things of God given to us. And then a pastor feeding a flock, a multitude. Of, but always remember a couple of things. Now, don't forget this. When the Holy Spirit flips a switch, and you get a little more insight, a little more light on a subject, or a passage, or a verse that you, or a word that you've never understood before. Now, be careful, and don't make that like the inspiration of the Scripture themselves, so that it is uh, infallible, inerrant, and inspired by God. In other words, don't make your thoughts about what the Scriptures say uh, the final uh, teacher. Only the Holy Spirit is the final teacher. This is the reason I'm now doing Revelation in a, a new way, a fresh way. I've always been dispensational premillennial. Nothing wrong with that view, except I don't see Scripture that way anymore. I hold it a different way. I'm writing about that. Now, what does that mean? Everybody disagrees with me, and still dispensational premillennial wrong or they're where they shouldn't be. No. In fact, one of my best friends wrote on my page this morning when I put it up. He said, "A man, I've enjoyed this. He's a little different view than I am. And I said to him, you know, Ted, isn't it wonderful that we fellowship around the Lord Jesus and not around the way we understand some little doctrine or some word or some idea in the scripture. Our fellowship is around who? Jesus himself. That's exactly right. And so whatever light we get along the journey... It is never to be seen as if the Holy Spirit's given you a word that's like the Scripture originally declared. This is the reason I believe in the word of prophecy. By the way, I happen to hold all spiritual gifts being available in our day. But the fact is, I think it's a dangerous thing when we come to a place where we think a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge, someone can say, God gave it to me for you. I'll be very, very careful here. You know why? Now, I have no doubt God can give a word to me yes. from. But one of the ways you know is that the Holy Spirit, when it's the, he's the one flipping the switch, it's never someone who says, you have to agree with me or else. It's the or else that gets me. You see? Because all at once, that kind of thing can become more cultic than Christian. Have you under, ever wondered why some people who call themselves Christian can gather around a person and be willing to commit suicide like James, Jim Jones did years ago, uh, all because of a political view about something, and, and they committed suicide. How many hundreds did? How would they do that? It's because whatever they say, christianese wise it's more cultic than it is christian and that's the reason we always are open to one another in the kingdom of god but never see one as lording it over us why because there's only one lord and one master and his name's not paul his name's not steve his name's not your name his name is god himself And in the person of the Holy Spirit, he can give us illumination. Now, that brings me to the final thing, and that is uh, some concluding remarks. Then we'll have a moment uh, for a question or two. First of all, can we make this practical? What does the concept of illumination really mean to the average lay person? That's us, all of us, including the teacher, average lay people. Okay, What does it mean to us? What does it mean to me? First of all, it means this. It gives us assurance that God can and will speak to us through his word we call the Bible. Yes. You can rest assured, God will flip a switch. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, if any man have not the Holy Spirit, he is not his. That's according to Paul. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you're one of His. You may not be the smartest pencil in the box. You may not have degrees. You may not have seminary education. You may not have finished the seventh grade. I don't know. But if you know the Lord Jesus, I'm telling you, you have a way of understanding the Bible that's far superior than the smartest PhD that's ever lived who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we can rest assured that the Holy Spirit can help us understand the Word of God. The second thing is we must seek the the Spirit's illumination when we study the Scripture. Now, what does that mean? Well, honestly, I wrote it, and when I read it, it sounds like a bunch of spiritual gobbledygook. (laughs) We must seek the Spirit's illumination when we study the Scripture. What does that really mean? Let me put it in layman's terms the Burleson translation, it really comes down to a matter of obedience. In other words, if I'm going to understand further the Word of God, get greater light, more flipping of the switches in the Word of God, then I'm going to have to have a heart to obey the light that has already been given me. Now, here's the point. I quoted it a while ago. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, I'm not going to ask Gene to turn the lights out, but suppose the lights were out and I had a flashlight. And I pointed down to my feet. Lamp to my feet, light to my path. Now, I don't see anything out there. See, what do I see next? The next step. Where to step? That's right, the next step. Then when I see the next step, what does it do? It gives me opportunity to see for the next step and for the next step. So when we study the scripture, to seek illumination from the Holy Spirit simply means to double check that we've obeyed what the scripture has already shown us. For example, if someone has has seen in the scripture where marital fidelity is what God intends for me in a covenant relationship with a woman who is my wife. And if I choose to break that marital fidelity, and I hide it, nobody knows it. She might not even know it. But can I honestly think that I can go to the Word of God and study it for greater light on subjects when I've got this point of disobedience in my life maybe that's what Jesus was kind of referring to when he said if you bring your uh, uh, gift to the altar and have all against your brother go straighten out the thing you've got against in order to go ahead then and bring your gift maybe that's connected there but the idea and by the way don't when somebody teaches like this people automatically say, oh, man, I fail all the time. I'm always messing up. Ladies and gentlemen, no one is saying that you have to have it all together. You have to have absolutely pure thoughts, absolutely pure action. Nobody this side of eternity has ever done that except the Lord. And we wouldn't go to heaven if what he did hadn't been accredited to us. So what is it in our lives that the Lord's looking for to give us more? A heart, to obey in other words maybe we see something and it is a tough row to hoe I'll never forget I was in California teaching all teaching along these lines in the church of one of our uh, friends pastor and I was teaching along this very thing a matter of obedience and a matter of more light given that kind of thing it was in the context of the, of the tabernacle in the wilderness and the fire chief, a member of their church, came forward. I saw the pastor dealing with him. He was weeping. I mean, Walter Price. Walter and the guy was just weeping. And Walter was his pastor. And I waited. For, we, finally, we finished. We sang again. Finally, we finished the service. They were still weeping. Everybody began to go. They were still weeping. I found out the next morning when Walter came by that the fire chief had uh, set fire to his own home having removed all of the things that were really valuable he knew how to do it make it look like an accident collected on the insurance in order to subsidize the new home that he had bought and now God had broken his heart over what he had done what do you do when your heart's broken over light that you haven't walked in. Well, if your heart's to make it right, you just get real with somebody and share it with them like he did. Now, I didn't know for a long time because it took a lot. Walter told us later what happened and it was a fairly good outcome because of his reputation, because he repaid all of it, all of that kind of thing. But the point is simply this when we're really seeking the Holy Spirit's further illumination as we study the Word of God to know how to live, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be willing to check our obedience along the way. And when we haven't obeyed, when we haven't done right, at least confess it. That means say the same thing God says about it. Say the same thing God says. Man, that was wrong. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to straighten it up. Help me in this matter, Mary and I were in Borger, Texas. I taught these along these lines to a group of men, and we found out later a Methodist guy was there, a member of the First United Methodist Church, and uh, the Lord broke his heart over something. He cheated his partner out of business, hadn't seen his partner in 20 years, didn't even know where he lived. But he told the Lord, "Lord, I'm going to make this right. I know it's wrong. I'm going to make it right, but I have to trust you." When. A couple of days later, he was on his way to Amarillo, pulled into a gas station, car pulled in to fill up with out-of-state license. It was his former business partner. He thought, oh my word, what am I going to... He just told him, told him. Well, the guy thought he was kidding him. said, you, you know, because the guy was still upset, even though when he saw who it was, he hated him. Long story short, God worked it, It took a long time, but obedience is very, very important. Now, nobody's saying you have to be perfectly obedient. What I'm saying is your heart has to be open for the Holy Spirit to use whatever. And then the final one, is, I must be diligent in my studies and open to even other per, other people being a tool. My, that's why I love to come. That's why I love to have my Bible open and listen with an outline in front of me. Why? It's not because I want the teacher to feel good or for somebody to think well, it's because I want the Holy Spirit to give further light. Does this make sense? Question? Somebody had a question.
1: I just wanted to kind of reiterate what you were saying. Uh, I was thinking as you were talking about being born again, mm-hmm. and the Bible says in First uh, Peter 2 and 2 it says desire the sincere as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Mm -hmm. And if you have that desire and that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the Bible says, you shall be filled. Mm -hmm. And the more you get into the word, the hunger and thirst, a lot of people can go days, months, whatever, Mm -hmm. never pick up a Bible, never read it, never get into it. But to desire the sincere milk of it, that means... My spiritual life should be more to me important than my natural life. He yeah. says, with the bread, the, the Bible is the bread of life. Yeah. And just like with your natural body, you got to eat in order yeah. to be strong. And
0: you know you know, something you mentioned here, the newborn babes desiring the sincere milk. Mm-hmm. Later on, Paul wrote to them and said, uh, I wish I could feed you with meat, but you're not able you know, because they not matured. In other words, that's a very good testimony of the fact that it's a progressive knowledge. Listen, you have been a great group. I have too much material. We don't have time for anything except to say, hug three necks before you go, shake three hands and get out of here. God bless you. Next Sunday, Steve will be back in the pulpit.